This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn. Welcome to another episode of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. And uh, you know what? When I put together the show, I, I hear that intro, and I've been running that same intro, This is Rock Talk, for uh, about three years now, I guess. Um, it's probably time that I change it up. So why don't we do this? Uh, if you want to put together a 9 to 10 second Rock Talk intro with absolutely uh, non-copyright infringed uh, music, so your own little thing. It cannot be a Warrant song or a Dawkins song or a Guns N' Roses song, but if you want to put something together and send over the MP3 to MitchMinute at AOL.com, I will consider, this is not a contest, so I will consider changing the intro, huh? How about that? That, 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 could, be, uh, that could be exciting. And of course, uh, speaking of exciting, uh, Ryan Roxy is uh, from Alice Cooper's band, is going to start his own show here on the Mitch Network, and uh, we will have that for you in July. A lot of great interviews uh, lined up, and it'll be very different to what I do, so more great content for you to check out. And of course, today, you will be checking out singer Jeff Scott Soto. He has a new album out called Origami. And and really, who doesn't like folding paper? That's that's a great thing. No, I'm kidding. Uh, the album is great. It's a, it's a great rock record. And of course, you have known Jeff from Sons of Apollo, uh, who have news coming up, by the way. I can't reveal anything as of today, but stick around the next couple of ones, uh, months. There's some great Sons of Apollo stuff coming. Um, he was, of course, for a New York Minute in Journey. Now, through all the interviews that I've done with Jeff, I'm pretty sure I have purposefully sidestepped the journey thing. But in this interview, we talked journey because uh, it was a due time for us to delve into that, uh, I guess, taboo topic. And, um, well, we this time we do it. Anyway, uh, so do check Jeff out. Do check out uh, Origami. What I would like also to talk about are, are some of the shows coming up this summer. A lot of great content out there, a lot of great shows. And so I want you to reach out either through, well, in fact, no, let's do it through social media. Don't go to the email for this. Go, let's go through social media, at Mitch Lafon, L-A-F-O-N, on Twitter. That's, that's sort of my preferred uh, platform for discussing stuff. But you can also find me on my Facebook and stuff, but it is... It's a little more random when you just post it on my Facebook because it has to sort of go in. But maybe I'll create a post, actually. Uh, what summer concerts are you looking forward to? But there, there's so many great shows coming up. And I'm going to list a few here. And for every show that I'm going to, to mention, I'm probably missing like 10 others, you know. But uh, so let's let's go with what summer shows would you really like to see? Uh, that you are going to go see, or, man, I hope it comes to my town kind of thing. So so we've got, of course, Kiss the End of the Road, that is in Europe presently, but coming back to North America. Definitely, I want to go see that. And I'm, and I'm assuming if you're listening to me, you probably want to go see that too, because most of the folks that listen to me have a Kiss 
affinity. Uh, we've got the Journey Las Vegas res- residency. Now you see that. I would love to go see, but Vegas is just a little bit far from Montreal. Uh, but I guess I could buy a, a plane ticket. Uh, but that would be great. I mean, you cannot deny uh, the talents of Neil Sean and the rest of the boys. We've got Pat Benatar and Melissa Etheridge. Now, I am going to go see Melissa in Trois-Rivières, Quebec in August, but but unfortunately not with uh, Pat Benatar. We've got George Thorogood doing his uh, his 40th anniversary tour, which I think will be great. I'll be seeing that in Kemptville, Ontario. Slayer farewell tour. Huh? Who's up for who who's up to say goodbye to uh, to Slayer? Now I saw the show with Anthrax in I'm trying to think when it was. Uh, I guess it was in the winter or in the, was late fall. Anyway, at Place Belle in Laval. We'll be seeing it again at Heavy Montreal at the end of July. There's a good show for you. We've also got Alice Cooper and Hailstorm. So uh, remember, folks, head over to at Mitch Lafon on Twitter and tell me where you want to go see or where you might be. I will be seeing that show in uh, Guilford, New Hampshire on, um, trying to think the day, August 11th, I believe it is. There's also, so, so let's, let's go rapid fire here. We've got uh, Brian Adams and Billy Idol which I will hopefully be seeing twice, in uh, once in Syracuse, once in Guilford, New Hampshire. We've got Hart. Now, they are coming to Montreal, but uh, no luck in setting up an interview so far. No luck in setting up any kind of coverage. Hopefully that'll change. Uh, Gin Blossoms and Collective Soul, as you heard me mention that on the uh, last interview with Will Turpin. Tesla and Def Leppard touring together. I believe it's like the 30th anniversary tour of them together. Um, in fact, when did they... Was it 1987? Just real quick. Must have been, right? 1987, they toured together for the first time, I think. We've got Rat uh, going out there doing uh, doing shows. I actually want to see that, you know. Uh, I, I know the band has ha, doesn't have Warren and doesn't have Bobby. and his, But they've got the voice. And I got to say, I've seen some, some video clips and it sounds good. Yeah, I, I can't complain. Uh, the Who is doing shows. Bob Seger is doing shows, Sammy Hagar and The uh, Circle. Now, I have seen a Sammy Hagar show with Night Ranger opening up. It's spectacular. Absolutely loved it. Um, I thought Night Ranger put on to just put together a great 60 minutes of all the greatest hits. And um, Sammy was just, uh, it was just fun. It was fun. And then we've got uh, Guns N' Roses, who have announced eight, I think, well, I believe, I will double check that, or you can Google it, uh, shows in the fall, arena shows. Now, I'm assuming that they don't just randomly do eight shows in the fall just for the fun of it. It is probably a precursor to something bigger and better and larger, and, and, and let's hope. But of course, I know, I know. The more that they're on the road, the less new music gets made. No new Slash music, no new Duff music, no new Axel Looney Tunes music, no new Guns N' Roses music, no no nothing. So hopefully, hopefully uh, they will somehow manage to do a little arena tour, but not so much to, as to not have new music. And 
you know, what, what, what do we feel about Guns N' Roses' new music? I think it's one of those where, was it Soren Kierkegaard, the, uh, the philanthropist who, or not the philanthropist, the, um, uh, what's the word, uh, philosopher. That's what I'm looking for. Though he, he, he might have been a philanthropist. But wasn't, it, wasn't he that said that the, antipa- the uh, anticipation was always greater than the get? I think folks are so looking forward to this Guns N' Roses new album, new music, that even if it's brilliant, even if it's the greatest record ever made, I think people will be disappointed. Right? I, I, I don't think that you can live up to the hype and I don't think that you can live up to the legacy and I think honestly I think that applies to a new Kiss record or a new Van Halen record or a new anything record I think when you're one of these bands that has this great catalog that has this great myth and legacy you're sort of doomed to whatever you put out is not going to be whatever you didn't put out or what you put out 30 years ago but Listen, I want new Guns N' Roses music. I think it'll be exciting. But I think when it comes out and fans take to Twitter and fans take to Facebook, I think the negative comments will outweigh the positive comments. Not because the music's not good and not because it's not a great album, but because people will be like, well, it's not Rocket Queen. It's not Welcome to the Jungle. It's like, well, of course it's not, dum-dum. What do you what, what do you expect? Ugh. Stupid people. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, but yeah. But let's say let's let's see. Let's hope. So so reach out to uh, to me on uh, at Mitch Lafon on Twitter and tell me what concert you are hoping to go see or excited to go see. And even in a, let's throw in a couple of packages that you would like to see happen. There's there's this talk of Judas Priest doing something with Iron Maiden. I hope that happens. Um, and, uh, just before I, I, I say goodbye here and bring, get, get Jeff going, uh, Dave Mustaine of Megadeth has announced that he has throat cancer. Ouch. Um, that hurts. That hurts not, and I don't mean that facetiously as in that hurts Dave. That hurts metal. That hurts the metal community. That hurts fans. Um, you know, whether you like Megadeth or don't like Megadeth, he's an important figure in the rock community and we need Dave Mustaine healthy and we need Megadeth making music and we need Megadeth touring. So I have nothing but the greatest of respect for Dave Mustaine and I hope and pray and everything that he gets uh, 100% better and that he's able to to continue with the career because, hey, when you're a singer, you know, you guess what? You need your throat. So so just all my thoughts, all my positive energy is going over to uh, to Dave Mustaine. And uh yeah, we we need him. You know, you you can you can like or dislike Megadeth, but we need him. It is important. You know, when you see Megadeth go out with the Scorpions or you see the, the, what was supposed to be the, the Megadeth Ozzy Osbourne tour, you need it. And it's important. Anything that sells tickets and sells merch and keeps the scene vibrant and keeps the scene active is needed. And Megadeth is a band that keeps the scene active. 
is needed. So we need Dave Mustaine to be 100% recovered. We need him to be back on a stage kicking ass. And I will leave it at that. Right? And it, you can go to the Twitter or the, or the Mitch Minute at AOL and send me a note and tell me if you agree. But I think you do. And I know you do. Nobody wishes harm on anybody. And, and you know that Megadeth is an important band that sells tickets, that sells merch, that keeps rock active. And we need that. So Dave... Uh, all the best to you. Let's 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 kick cancer in the nuts and let's get back to uh, to rocking and rolling. And uh, before I get over to uh, Jeff from um, Sons of Apollo, let me just remind you that his new album is called Origami. And if you would like a supporting rock T-shirt, a rock talk with Mitch LaFon T-shirt, please head over to loudtracks.com forward slash Mitch, loudtracks, T-R-A-X.com forward slash Mitch. And without further ado, here is the one, the only, Jeff Scott Soto. We are speaking with vocalist extraordinaire Jeff Scott Soto. He, of course, is in Sons of Apollo and has done plenty of singing for other bands during his career. A good day, Jeff. Always, always un plaisir. Always a pleasure. And same, Mitch. It's uh, I've been looking forward to talking to you. Always look forward to talking to you as we uh, we have a long history of talking to each other. <laughs> yeah, and 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 for different projects, we we went all the way back to uh, what was first. I guess Journey was before Soul Circus, right? Right. So no, Journey was after Soul Journey Circus was... first. Okay, so we we've been talking at least since then, if not. Uh, but uh, let's let's talk today. Origami, the new album that is out now via Inside Out Music. Great stuff, by the way. So before we get into the writing process, and I'll talk to me about putting out a solo album or an album under under your name. Uh, as opposed to saying, "Hey, I'm going to take these songs and wait till the Sons of Apollo's come," or talk to me about how you sort of differentiate. What? How do you put pile A and pile B together in terms of who gets what songs? Well, for starters, I'm not really part of the writing process for either band when it comes to the music. So the music comes to me from the guys in Soto and our various writers, co-writers, uh, and same with Sons of Apollo. The music comes to me from the band before my involvement starts so there's no differentiating because obviously when i get a pack of songs from either or um i create for those songs i i my my input is basically the melodies and the lyrics and that can't begin until i actually hear a piece of music so that's the easy part um choosing the songs obviously that's harder with with soto we had somewhere in and around 25 songs to start with and then whittling that down, we're not going to sit there and record 25 songs unless we're looking for a double album. You whittle it down to the final amount that you actually need. And you usually end up with a couple more than you actually need or or just naturally you feel like, I don't want to let this one go. And those those can either be placed on uh, bonus tracks you know, for Japan or special edition versions of the album, et cetera, et cetera. But it's the same with Sons of Apollo. Those guys write the songs. I get them, and that's where I step up and start doing my work. Okay, so that's actually interesting. That that's a very that's not the answer I was expecting. So, why then are you not? And correct me if I'm wrong here, but why are you not more involved, if you want, with the musical direction? Why are you not involved in the? Hey, I hear a guitar rift here. Or I hear. 
you know, why, why just sort of provide melody and lyrics? Why not say, let's build this from the ground up together? Well, it's kind of a double, the, the answer, there's two sides to that, to, to that answer, and they're pretty much in the same capacity. Uh, I, I'd rather leave the music writing to the musicians who play their instruments really well. Because they're gonna get, we're gonna get the best results out of the song anyway, from the riffs to what they're creating and carving out musically. Of course, I'll step in and say, I love that riff. Maybe we could do that there, help move things around. But that's more on a, that that's more of a production decision, like a producer or a production decision. It's not so much of the songwriting. If somebody's writing a riff, I'm not gonna say, okay, now we need a pre-chorus. Do this, and I would rather get a piece of music the way they hear it, the way they. Uh, anticipate it should go and then I can be creative the other side of that answer is I'm not that great of a musician I play keys and guitar <clears throat> enough to bluff my way through a situation but not enough to actually write a quality song especially something that is within the context of Soto or Sons of Apollo maybe like a Jeff Scott Soto melodic rock kind of song I could bang out something on the keyboards that'll sound it'll just sound more commercial or less musically skilled or involved and that's why i'd rather let the musicians create and craft and let me just do what i do best and that's melodies and lyrics so then how do you sort of sell the believability because you know when you when you when you hear a song and you sing a song you sort of have to be invested in it you have to sort of believe in the message i mean you can tell who is sort of doing a random ballad and who actually lived those lyrics and so so how do you give yourself to that if it's if it's if the music's not from you if if you understand what i'm saying well absolutely it's a good question too because for the for the most part and without sounding corny or cheesy the song speaks to me the song when i hear it back it tells me what i need to be putting forth in it if it's a personal experience that song will tap into something personally that i want to come i want to get across lyrically if i hear a song that doesn't really adapt to something i've live through or something that pertains to me, I find another situation that would definitely fit the mold. Again, the song, when I hear the song, it tells me what I need to be singing over it. And obviously after I get the melodies, that tells me even the, um, the intensity of the song or the mildness of a song that tells me what the song should be about. So I'm able to put the passion, the emotion and everything behind it, whether it's heavy, aggressive or, Ballading and soft, I know exactly what the song should be. It's calling to actually uh, write about. So it's gotcha. it really it really just comes naturally and organically. When I hear a song, I can hear a song from another artist on the radio that's already done, and I'll start thinking about what I would have done to that song, and it could be completely different of what they actually came out with. It could actually even be similar, but that's what I that's what that's how I create. It's the only way I can create. Okay, good. So, so let me talk to you about being a working musician because you you've done wet. The last album, Earth Rage, was was spectacular. Obviously, Sons of Apollo. You've also done uh, Trans Siberian Orchestra, or you're still doing Trans Siberian Orchestra. Recently, there was news of maybe a David Lee Roth, Eat 'Em and Smile solo band <laughs> thing with you singing. So, so you know, some will will scream oversaturation, and others will scream, "Oh no, that's what a working guy does. You have to be available and you have to work," which is the position I take. But what are some of the challenges you face between bouncing between project to project and being out there all the time and just making sure the bills are paid? I was criticized a lot for doing a lot of way too much work within the context of a year or two years or whatever you want to call it back in the day. Now it's become the norm. Now you see 
all these super groups, these multi uh, different releases coming up all the time. And now it's a it's a regular thing. It seems like just it, it seems like the the whole music everything's just changed. The, the whole idea of it's the, the landscape of it's changed. So we've changed with it, whether it be making our livelihood because we don't sell the amount of records we used to sell before and we rely on the live aspect of it to kind of feeling like we need more we need to challenge it and create more we i i personally feel like i want to leave as much music behind as i possibly can because as i'm getting older and i realize my my days my years might be limited i want to put forth as much as possible it's kind of the freddie mercury uh ideal when he knew he was dying i hate to be so morbid about it he knew he was dying he told the guys in queen please put me in the studio work get as much as you can out of me i want to give as much and leave as much as possible for when i'm gone i want to have as much left uh, uh, into our legacy as possible i kind of have that ideal now with seeing so many of my friends and colleagues and and heroes leaving this earth I feel like I'm I'm on overdrive now. I want to do as much as possible before I'm either forced to stop or before something forces me to stop. Right. So so let me take you up on that because I know as a, you know folks don't know that we had a hard time setting up this interview because my schedule and your schedule you were traveling and you're doing all these different shows all over the place. Why not just sort of head over to Broadway and say, okay, I want to be in, in, a, in a musical. Why not head over, head over to Raiding the Rock Vault in Vegas and just be a working musician, just sort of doing the nine to five thing? You know, why sort of put yourself out there with all these different projects? Um, it's probably that, that kind of answer. The answer to that kind of alludes to what might have happened had I continued with Journey. I think if I continued with Journey and didn't get fired, didn't get let go, whatever the situation was, at a, I think three or four years in, I probably would have walked. The paycheck is great. The uh, the ad- adulation's great. Playing big arenas and all that would have been great. But I would have felt cheated uh, in myself, within myself, that I'm not leaving my own legacy. I don't want to sing somebody else's legacy. I want to sing my own, whether I'm singing to 200 people or 2,000 or 20,000, I want to be able to sing my own legacy because I do have too much to leave behind to just waste my the, the last years, the last decade of my years singing, singing somebody else's legacy. And that's, that, and that's the God's honest truth. I don't necessarily need to be a working musician just to make a living because, yeah, like you said, I can do that in so many other aspects. I'd rather do it and carve my own path and, and do it my own way. And if I can't, if I can't be the next big thing to slice bread, so be it. But I'm going to die trying. Yeah, and you're doing you're doing a great job. So, how do you, between all these projects, ensure that you're not just repeating yourself? How do you make sure that this new solo album, Origami, is not Earth Rage Wet Part Two and is not Psychotic uh, Symphony Part Three? How do you sort of make sure that you develop different sounds and not just, hey, I've written the same lyrics, but you know, this song's a little bit faster, even though the, me- you know what I mean? How, how do you sort of make sure that it's not just a lot of Soto doing the same thing and you've actually established different brands for the lack of a better word? Mitch, you are good. Thank Sir, you. you're good. Those are good questions. Um, it's, it's clear and obvious that these, the bands, especially the ones you mentioned, they're all genre ridden or they're all genre laden. They, Wet has got more of a melodic rock, hard rock. 
Jeff Scott Soto, I'm all over the map when I do the solo records. Um, Sons of Apollo is more in a prog thing. Soto is more of a power metal um, mixed with alt rock. It, it's every one of these has their own genre. If I'm doing five bands that do the same style of music, then I would be saying, well, that song could have been for that album. That song could have been from this band. Then, then it becomes a big wash of everything sounds the same. The fact that they're so different in the capacity of the the music that we're doing allows me to still be me. You're still going to hear that Jeff Scott Soto sound. That's a, that what I do to a song, but musically, it's going to take you somewhere else. And that's that's what differentiates itself from all the different things that I do. Okay, so okay, so l- let me just focus quickly on Sons of Apollo. It comes out. It, of course, has uh, Bumblefoot, Billy Sheehan, Derek Sherinian, and Mark Portnoy. And like you say, it's very much prog-oriented. Um, Vol- you say Portnoy? I heard you say Mark Portnoy. Mike. Did I say Mark? <laughs> no, Mike. Oh, listen. It could be. It's late in the It's late in the evening here. And then we, we, did I say Mark? I think you did. Well, when you listen back, I think he's in Mark Portnoy. Well, listen, first, quick, first of all, I won't edit it because you know, <laughs> I, I, I stand. But all right. But no, of course, Mike, uh, we, we love yeah. Mike. He was uh, oh, Twisted course. Sister's greatest drummer. No, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. He, no, but he was great. But but sort of how do you, you know, because you, you are more from what I've known, the melodic rock singer guy. You've done, of course, the journey you've done, of course, wet, like right. you said. Um, how was it approaching that and going, okay, now this is a different thing. And, and I don't mean this to be disparaging, but there, there's sort of more of a muso element of people noodling around on the instruments. And, and that's what that is. H- how was that for you to approach that and get into that? And, and vocally, do you think, okay, I need to sing differently? Or was it like, no, I'm Jeff Scott Soto and that they're going to get Jeff Scott Soto doing what Jeff Scott Soto does. And see, I didn't call you John Scott Soto, but I was, <laughs> I was tempted. Uh, but, but, you know, what was that one like? And, and then further down the, in that answer, where are we for new Sons of Apollo and, and the project moving forward into 2019 and to 2020? Well, everybody is in Sons of Apollo because of who they are and what they've established themselves to be in the industry already. There was no auditioning. There was no, let me see what you sound like on a couple songs and then we'll decide. I was invited into this band without a single idea of whether I was a good fit for it because they knew, respected, and trusted that I was. The same with everybody in this band. Same with Bumblefoot, etc. For all intents and purposes, the band is Mike and Derek's baby. You know, this is something they, they've been talking about for a long time. They hand-selected everybody to be in this particular band. And from that, we are absolutely 1,000% ourselves and, and allowed to be ourselves. And that's that's what the, the beauty of it all is. When, when I'm singing in Sons of Apollo, you'll notice I'm not necessarily singing over these crazy 7 over 14 time or 14 over 11. They, when I'm singing, they give me the straight parts of the songs. So I can concentrate on making it the strongest and the hookiest and the the more, I guess, audibly accessible part of the song. When I'm not singing, that's when they throw in all the kitchen sink stuff. That's when it goes crazy with all the musoid and all the stuff that they want to do and present themselves as uh, musicians. It's a perfect marriage. It's a perfect balance because I'm not expected to do something that's out of my norm. 
the the sections I'm singing over are pretty straight ahead, and it, it allows me just to do my thing. And then I get to go, you know, make a new drink while they do seven minutes of this jamming stuff, which is which is also great and fun to listen to. Yeah, it. Now, with, answering your part two of that. Yes, I'm actually. Uh, I just finished song number four a few days ago, where slowly crafting and carving out the new Sons of Apollo record that uh, I'm sure will be ready to be. It'll, it'll be ready to be mixed in the next couple months, I'm imagining. And we're looking at releasing it very early next year. I'm, I'm thinking maybe January next year, and we're hitting the road and doing our dance from there. So it's uh, there you go. It's as uh, as we're speaking now, we're finishing the new Sons of Apollo record. Oh, so that's great. And uh, for for the business jargon, it's going to be a first quarter release of 2020, right? So that's cool. Uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, we 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 made the mistake of releasing the first album literally a month before I started the Trans-Siberian Orchestra tour. And as I'm still uh, officially part of that fold, um, we lost a good three months of touring time that we could have actually, it, we could have used to our advantage. When the, album, when the album dropped in October of 2017, it basically just sat there until we could actually start touring in February of 2018. That's a lot of time to let go by from an album's release and debut. So this time around, we're going to make sure the album comes out right as we're hitting the tour. Yeah, which which makes sense. And of course, you know, the, the schedules are difficult. I mean, uh, Mike, underlined Mike, uh, <laughs> does, does Neil Morse and, and Ron, of course, I, I saw something come by that he's going to go do Asia or, or right. you know. So it's 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 amazing that you were able to get out there at all, quite frankly. You're uh, absolutely right, especially... I mean, not to discredit anybody else in the band, everybody, everyone else is just as busy with their other things. You know, Derek has Black Country Communion and and of course, Billy, I don't know what the uh, the status is of Mr. Big is, but Billy's always busy He's between clinics and appearances and G3s and all these different things. It is it is a, a, a hectic thing trying to get us all rounded up and committed to an actual schedule where we can just go out there and blast it out. So luckily having this year off that gives us a chance to look into the future and say let's clear this out and let's let's focus on sons of apollo for this time and that's how we do it that's how we're able to pull it off that's why this year is soto's year it really is and, I, and i'm looking forward to that hopefully we can get you up to canada which is for uh, apparently very difficult to get yeah. bands up to canada i don't know why but unless you're you know metallica and you have this incredibly established fan base it's right. it's it's difficult, but we have ways, and I know promoters, so we will talk, and we will we will make sure we get you up here somehow. Um, let, North America in general is also it's also a, a tough cookie to crack, and it's my own backyard, and it's been the toughest one for me to get much interest out of. I, I, I'll even go back as far as uh, I was just fired from Journey after singing in front of eight or nine hundred thousand people. I forgot what it was during the course of that year. I was with them. I booked a little. Uh, two week US run with the Jeff Scott Soto kind of lineup. And most of those shows I was playing in front of 70, 80 people. I mean, you go from having that journey background behind you to eight from 800 to 900,000, you would assume you'd be able to pick up at least 5% of them, not even close. So, yeah, it's a tough one, man. It's South America and Europe have always been good to me. And so those are the ones I concentrate most on. But I would love to get Soto and the attention for Soto here in North America and Canada, the rest of the world, you know, that's, that's what we're here for. I'm going to ask you a question around that answer. And it might be unfair to, 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 
Do you think part of the problem is promoters? Because I've dealt with Japanese promoters and I've dealt with European promoters. And yes, they're in business, but there's also seems to be a sense of community and a sense of fandom and a sense of understanding. And I find sometimes, not all, but some North American promoters just sort of seem to throw whatever at the wall and hope it sticks, but don't really necessarily massage it or work it properly. So do you think it's just fans' lack of interest? Do you think it's just not properly marketed? Where do you think it lies? Because you can take the same band and the same song and throw them in, you know, Dusseldorf, Germany, and you've got 1,500 that show up. And who sort of, I don't want to say to blame, but where where do we need to sort of pay attention to make it better for everybody? Yeah, it's demographics. It's it's uh, popularity. It's, it's regions. It's promoters. I... God bless them. A lot of them take that chance. They, they, they'll dump the money it's necessary to get the band there. And if people don't show up, they lose their asses. You know, they, that's the gamble. That's the risk. It's, a band needs a certain amount of money just to put the band on the road. And I'm not talking about to take that money home, you know, to put towards boats and cars and all that. I'm talking about just to pay for the actual tour, much less come home with some beer money. It's really tough. Um, even Sons of Apollo, we had our struggles right out the gate. You know, everybody just thinks we all come from this background and pedigree. It's a, it's a given. It's a sold out uh, run that we're going to be doing at every show. And no, we had to build this up the the old fashioned way. Go out there and do the grind and get people into this band and show them that we're a real band. It's the same thing with with what I'm doing and have been doing with Soto. I can't expect just because I had a nice long healthy career with so many other things, including Trans-Siberian Orchestra, that all these people are naturally going to come out just to support it. They still have to like the music. They have to be into the songs. All those, if you don't have that, you're not going to have anybody at your shows. And that's the yeah. bottom line. It's it, Talking to people like yourself, getting the word out and getting uh, people to finally accept and listen to the music, that's the only thing that's going to get you there. It really is. And and I know people hate when I mention this, but it really is about branding. You could join Kiss Tomorrow and be in front of 25,000 people. You could go back to Journey and 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 it's about the name and it's about, right. you know, and it's it's tough to create that. It, it's tough to to create a brand and, and hold on to it. Now, uh, I'm and it's getting even harder now. The, the you know terrestrial radios is just there's nobody supporting certain styles and genres of rock so it's it's really difficult to just get your little edge in there it's 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 almost impossible and the whole fabric of the industry has changed so you're you're back thankfully i have 35 years behind me that i'm able to utilize and and add to the situation it kind of helps me along but man if i was 20 years old and starting out it it would be rough oh it would be well almost impossible and and i have to say you know, that's why I keep supporting rock. You know, part part of the why I do what I do is that years ago, my dad said, if 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 you want something done right, do it yourself. And I and I looked around when I started, you know, in the mid 90s, nobody was really talking rock anymore. It's like, well, you, then fucking just do it yourself. You know, right, let's, right. and it's, it's been paying off. But uh, let us quickly look at this Van Halen, eat and smile thing. So you go to Ultimate Nam Night um, out in Anaheim back in January. You perform with the guys. And the rumor is, or, or you said yourself on another show, um, we were offered a record contract or a recording contract. So is that something that was just sort of said in passing, or was there some seriousness to this? And, and do you pause and call the guys and go, well, you know, why not? 
Um, how, how, how serious was that and how much was it sort of a tongue in cheek kind of offer? No, it was a serious offer. I mean, okay. the actual monetary offer wasn't there. We, we didn't get that far. It basically was, uh, an idea thrown at us and, um, it was discussed for a nanosecond. You know, it's, uh, for the most part, everyone is biz- too busy to even consider something like this right now. And if we were in the position to consider it, I don't know that it wouldn't necessarily happen, especially because it's it's a strange thing just to get the David Lee Roth band together, the Edom and Smile band together with a different singer. Again, it's just like, why, is there really a demand for this? Is there really a, a reason or why would we be doing this? I'm in a great band with Billy Sheehan. I don't necessarily have to be in several bands with Billy Sheehan. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy with where I am. And... If the guys, if those guys came to me with the offer, it'd probably be different. If they came to me and said, the four of us want to do this and we'd want you to sing, I'd, I'd absolutely consider it. But the fact that it came from out of the blue and it's not really something for us to actually sit back and say, yeah, you know what? This is a real deal. We should start thinking about it. I don't think it would have gotten any any further than that. And I'll tell you my perspective on it uh, to to – to, to put you guys together in a band and then just be sort of a cover band where you just go and do the Roth greatest hits, I would be like, hmm, that's interesting, but okay, you know, why is that? But if it was to get you in and create your own thing and call it whatever, uh, Talus 2 or Soto 2, or, <laughs> then I'd be like, yeah, okay, that's another super group with great guys. And then during your live shows, as you're playing your new material, you throw in Yankee Rose as an encore. Then I'm like, yeah, okay, but but... To somehow just go be a cover band, I don't know. I mean, really? I mean, I, 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 I absolutely can tell you, Steve Vai is not interested in that in the slightest. So that's on that alone, we we don't have anything to talk about any further. <laughs> right, but but you would be interested yeah. in maybe doing new music, though. Yeah, well, that's different to do new music and and kind of steer away from that. It's there's no. It's kind of a a dead horse before you get a chance to beat it. So to do new music, it still would be considered. That's how it would be marketed and promoted. The eat and smile band with Jeff Scott Soto. It's, it's kind of dopey when you think about it, if they came to me with the, it, with several different members, uh, omitted or, or changed or whatever, that's a, that's a whole different demographic, but the actual thing would just, it would be more tongue in cheek that it's eat and smile with a different singer. And, and, is there really any demand for that? I don't think so. Well, listen, I, I think there would be a demand. I think if you went on tour, you could play the clubs at seat 250 and, and or, or maybe a little bit more. Maybe that's a little rude to say, but but it wouldn't certainly wouldn't be an arena kind of thing. Oh, I hear you. Yeah. And in, in general, it's not really I don't like I said, it didn't even get past the um, the idea. It didn't get past just the idea of, hey, what about a deal? And you guys, I don't think so. No, <laughs> I don't. It's weird that it got even got coverage. It was, I said the, uh, I was talking about it in passing, and I didn't even think anybody would think twice about it. And of course, it ends up on Blabbermouth. Well, listen, you have to understand that when you say Metallica, Van Halen, Kiss, and a couple other bands, that's guaranteed coverage. I mean, that's those yeah. are the bands that people get excited about. I mean, that's sure. that's that's reasonable. Um, and I'll, I'll finish on this. And I wasn't going to ask you about it, but you've touched on this journey thing. And and over our all our years, we sort of danced around it. What 
So I'll ask you straight up, what was the deal? I mean, you, you got hired. I know Andrew at Melodic Rock was very excited. Hey, my buddy's going to be in Journey. And, and I came out and saw, saw you in Saratoga Springs. And through Andrew, you put me on the guest list because we didn't know each other at that time. And by the way, thank you for that. You're very um, welcome. Uh, but but what happened? Well, I mean, I don't think we've ever heard the real, or I've never asked you the real story. You were fired, but why? And if I you don't want to answer, it. don't answer. I mean, no, you, know. you know what? I, I'm I absolutely talk. I'm I'm an open book. I talk about everything and anything. Okay. Be honest with you. I was never given the actual reason. I, all I know, and I can tell you one thousand percent. And I hope this makes blabbermouth. And nothing to do with my performance, zero to do with my performance. I was delivering. I, they were very happy from what I understood, from what they told me, from what I heard in interviews. They were very happy with what I was bringing to the table. They were happy. They were always talking about how we can finally move on from the ghost of Steve Perry, et cetera, et cetera. Nothing to do with performance and nothing to do with the fact that I wasn't a Steve Perry clone that had that signature sound. Nothing to do with it. It was a personal decision from one or two members of the band. I, I recently got some further information on what it could have been. And if it was that, it's the most ludicrous reason to let me go. It's a, it's the most ridiculous. I, I, it blows my mind that not only would they let me go, but completely erase and delete me from their history that you look on their website. I don't exist. My presence was never there. It basically went from Steve Argeri to Arnell Pineda. To me, if that's the reason but that I recently heard, it's ludicrous why I was let go. But if there's another reason that's not that, that I still to this day do not know. We're, we're talking about 12 years later since I was let go. I do not know the reasons why. All I, all I had was a, a call from management saying they've had a change of heart and it's done. There was no, can we sit down and talk about it? There was no, is it, can we work something out? Uh, can we shake hands and walk away from this gentleman? Zero. To this day, I have no communication with them, with except with the exception of Dean Castronova or Ross Valerie. They've come to a couple of TSO shows, and I said hello. But even those guys were not part of this decision or reason. So therefore, I don't even. There's not even any reason to grill them and ask them, "Hey, what happened? What do you know?" Because it's just it's just pointless at this point. I don't know, and I don't care. I, like I said, had I continued with them, I probably would have walked away from it because. One, that catalog will kill any singer. And two, I would have felt cheated that I was singing somebody else's legacy and not crafting, creating and leaving my own. Right. And, and you know, with, with a lot of these uh, older bands or heritage bands or bands with history, there's a whole bunch of interpersonal stuff sometimes that sure. the new guy just catches shrapnel. And, and it's not because yeah. the new guy did anything wrong. It's because... And I'm not saying necessarily this is what happened in Journey, but I've seen situations where, you know, the 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 whatever the the, the drummer needs to prove that he's more of the band than the singer, and then right. they fire the bass player, and you go, what the what the fuck was that? Right, right, right. <laughs> well, so even, you know, Gary Sharon and Van Halen, I think they could have they could have and should have given it a little more time to to kind of uh, grow a little bit for them to kind of find a little more niche together, but. You know, the, the album didn't do that great, and maybe he wasn't as accepted as they were hoping. Whatever the situation was, they could have given it a little more time to, to organically fit better and, and let people accept it. But they didn't, and that's it, it unfortunately ended that way for Gary. Yep. Not that way, the way it ended with me and Journey, but just in general, he didn't get a chance to really prove himself as Van Halen's third singer. And 
I will say this about Gary, uh, who I just hung out with at M3. I just have to always plug being around Gary and M3. Great, great people, I great festival. Love, I love this man with a passion. He's such a great human being. Uh, absolutely. But I have always said, and, and fans can debate, that, debate it after they hear this, they should have toured, let Gary get out there, out yeah. there in the sheds and let people hear him sing Jump and let hear him sing whatever, Running with the Devil. And right. then get in the studio and, and also create chemistry as a as a unit and then get in the studio. I think they went about it backwards. I think when you're going to change a member, especially the vocalist, get out there and do a run of like 30 shows so that everybody knows what everybody does. And fans can go, oh, did you hear him last night? Holy Christ. Right. He was... I think that would have made a huge difference. But you whatever. might be right. You, you know, I, I never thought about it that way. And anybody, anytime a, a band is changing singers. I think they would probably be more afraid of that because uh, what if they don't get accepted right out the jump? What if they, but that's they, good they, though, uh, because then they say, like, but doesn't really give them a chance to prove himself with new material. True. But at, at the same time, it's sort of like market research. You go out there and you say, Hey, we got this great new guy. And then you do 30 shows and the first show is sold out. And by the 30th show, you've, you're playing to 20 people. You go, maybe it's not me. The fans have spoken, you know? Yeah. And, and, it's unfortunate that it, that the fans would speak that way, but sometimes it's a lot better than investing, you know, nine months in a recording thing. I and there's a, you know, I, it's, it, yeah, I get there's two two approaches that could have, should have, maybe cuts both ways. Gone. Yeah, I, it, I hear you. It does, but uh, I, I guess I had that with Journey, and then you know, they, before we even got to do new material together, because obviously when Arnell joined them, they did that. The greatest hits uh, redo, they did as well as the original album. So he got to do a little bit of both, and maybe that's what they should have done. Maybe they should have redone some songs with Gary singing the old classics and released them with with the new album. I don't know if that would have helped either. Uh, you know, it's all it's all a crapshoot, and that's why uh, rock fans are great because we all get to Facebook and we give our opinions about what should have been, and it just keeps the world spinning round and round. Absolutely, <laughs> and there's Absolutely. never. No and we all know we all have opinions that the same as we have assholes. <laughs> yep, yep, and and it just but hey, that's as long as people are talking about it, it's good. Uh, Origami, the uh, new album by uh, Soto, is out. Maintenant, as we say in Montreal, out now. Uh, Do please go buy it. Forget the streaming stuff. Though streaming is nice too, but owning it, smelling it, touching it, uh, you know, dude, see, I I couldn't agree more. I get that asked that question all the time. Do, how do you feel about everything going the streaming and product is, you know, physical product is dead or close to dead? I don't agree. I think there's still people that want to read the credits like we did. They want to smell the vinyl. They want to hold a piece of music because right now music is just air. Right now it's it's an app. You don't know who's in the band, what the guys look like, who mixed it, who wrote. The, you don't have all those things that fascinated us about music when we yes. were growing up. And that element is missing for the next generation who don't give a shit about who did what. I like the song. I don't like the song. And then when I'm done with that song, here comes another one. Here comes another 50. The, all that mystique is gone, that, that, that education of where these bands come from and what, they, what makes them tick. Why do you like them so much? There's a reason their influences and the people that were around them to make that record, to make that song, that's all gone. It sucks. It, it it totally sucks, and I'll and I'll finish on this. Alice Cooper once said it best to me: "I'd rather not own air," uh, which <laughs> is what it is. And and yeah. and the second thing is, 
and folks seem to, to not realize, but you don't actually buy the music. You license it technically to listen to it. And then when the streaming service, whether it's Spotify or Deezer or, or whatever, or iTunes decides that they don't want to make it available anymore, it's gone. And right. you could just imagine, you, you know, you're, you're a big fan of Kiss Destroyer. And one of these companies decides we're not paying their rights or we're not going to and just pulls it and it's gone. And that, well, much like records that, that they, they go out of print, you know, they disappear. Once they're sold, the initial pressings are sold. The record companies don't repress them and you have to find them on eBay or whatever. But at least you can find them. And that's the bottom line. But to be honest with you, Mitch, I don't care how people find or discover or listen to Soto music, because in the end, we're a live band. We want to be a live band. And without people knowing our music, we will not be able to get on the road. So however you want to discover Soto, fucking steal it if you want to. Just do it. I just want you to hear the music, love the music, because that's the only way you're going to see us live. Yep, absolutely. I agree. And with that, uh, sir, merci. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much, Mitch. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Merci. Thank you. You got it. You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFond. Rock Talk. 